from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, October the 4th, 2018. This is episode number 74, An Advantage and an Albatross. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories of the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined by two wonderful guests, senior editor at PC World. Welcome back to Download, Mark Hockman. Thank you for being here. Sure thing. And uh, and my old counterpart at PC World, now tech editor at Fast Company, and of course the technologizer, writer, newsletter, all of that, Harry McCracken. Hi, Harry. Hey, Jason. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, I, 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 I gave it a little PC World flavor this week because there's a lot of Microsoft stuff to talk about. <laughs> Microsoft <laughs> hardware, uh, consumer hardware. We talked about like Microsoft's big picture uh, vision things last week from their conferences, but this week they got down to business and they did uh, a bunch of product announcements, and I think that's uh that's definitely more in our wheelhouse and uh i'm looking forward to talk about it uh and that is the most interesting story in the week as picked by me and Stephen hackett producer of download hi Stephen. hello jason we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna break it down we're gonna break the microsoft stuff down yes I love hardware weeks. Hard, hardware is fun. Yeah, we should mention that there's a podcast called Subnet that Stephen and I are doing right now. That's every day. It's three tech topics for like a very short amount of time. It's like a little daily briefing Monday through Friday. So uh, people should check that out. It's on Relay FM, and it's like a little mini uh, mini download without more people on it. It's just one person. Lonely download. Yeah, <laughs> it's the loneliest of all the downloads. All right, let's get to it. Topic number one. Uh, let's dive into the first part of Microsoft's press event this week. They talked about Surface, of course, a very interesting product line of mobile devices. Throughout the presentation, the company announced updates to several of its devices. The convertible Surface Pro 6 using 8th generation Intel processors. It's got an improved cooling system, so it now can support quad-core processors. Microsoft says it'll be 67% faster than the previous model, and the thing that everybody was immediately talking about, which is that it's uh, back in black. It can be ordered in a beautiful matte black uh, thing. Let's start. Let's. Uh, I mean, the Surface Laptop was also out. I, I'll, I'll throw that in there, too. 85% faster than the previous generation. Thinnest ever LCD on a touch-equipped laptop. Um, and starting at... Eight ninety nine as the base price, which I think was nine ninety nine before. So right, so that that's a uh, that's a more aggressive pricing there. Um, ni- now now neither of those products has a USB C port, which is really interesting. And the Surface uh, Go and the Surface Book Two have it, but these seem to be updates where they didn't want to change the exterior case and uh, change the port configuration at all. So they still have USB C. So let's start there, Mark. What's your uh, what's your read on what Microsoft is doing with these? updates to Surface Pro and Surface Laptop? Sure. Well, I think probably the best way to do it is actually to start with pricing because <clears throat> one of the things they talked about there was, as you mentioned, the minimum price for the Surface Pro 6 was $899. The weird thing is, is actually if you go to the website, there's two things that we needed that's sort of unusual. First of all, there's not just one Surface Pro 6 and not just one Surface Laptop 2 anymore. There's actually a Surface Pro 6 for consumers and a Surface Pro 6 for business. There's actually two separate product pages for these and there's actually two product different spec pages for these too there's actually a little bit of difference between the 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 surface pro 6 for business you get like a a slightly upgraded core i5 with v pro and the weight's a little bit different too but i think one of the more interesting things though is the price so first of all the surface pro 6 for business is about 100 bucks more and that gives you again the different processor and the an upgraded warranty but 
the one thing you mentioned though was the minimum price in eight ninety nine. And the problem is, is that if you go to the website and you go and look on the consumer page, and you configure out an eight gigabyte product with a Core i five, the minimum spec is actually two hundred and fifty six gigs, and that comes in at eleven ninety nine. And that's the lowest process. That's the lowest. Uh, product you can figure that now there's something else though it's sort of hidden there it's called the surface pro 6 essentials bundle and the weird thing is is that if you want an 899 machine you have to pick that but the 899 machine is sort of a it force feeds you it sort of requires you to not only pick the 899 SKU, but it also it makes you pick a type cover which okay let's be let's face it you know everybody's going to want but it also makes you pick an Office 365 subscription, which is an additional $49.99 per year or $79.99 per year, depending on what you pick. So, A, it's hidden. B, it's not quite the $8.99 that they talked about. In- so, in- it's interesting. Yeah. And then, and then, is the Surface Laptop too? Is that a uh, a base $8.99 mm-hmm. as well? That that's like a real $8.99? Because they were. My memory is that that was the that there was $9.99, but it was a very on the last one, and it was lightly configured. And then, like the the really good ones, you you would step it up to $11.99. But I'm impressed that they've taken it down another hundred on the laptop side too. Yeah, the Surface Laptop too has a different starting price. Um, it's I'm actually just looking at it right now. So, it, it's. Uh, Quick, 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 quick. Um, uh, it's not coming up right now, but That's, I can dig that up for you. It's Anyways, fine. though, the different the pricing is different from the the, the business versus the c- consumer configurations too. Hmm. The only difference is that the Surface Studio Two, which you might think would be a business machine, only has the one config. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's inside baseball for a lot of people, but for me, it was just like you know, if you're gonna go up there and talk about minimum pricing, make it minimum pricing. <laughs> Interesting, Harry. What's your yeah. uh, what's your read on these uh, these systems? This is, I mean, Microsoft in the hardware game, and it's always been really interesting. And uh, since they came back and, and and started doing this, and uh, Surface Laptop got a lot of attention last time, and uh, now they've they've given it a little bit of an update. What what's your thought about this? Yeah, I mean, uh, Microsoft has been doing Surface for about six years now, and there have been periods where they've released new stuff at at a pretty rapid clip, but also times when uh, stuff got stale. And they've usually announced maybe one or two products at a time. And this time they announced three systems. They announced the the new Surface Pro, the laptop, the Surface Studio, which is this amazing and rather expensive um, Mm -hmm. large screen all-in-one aimed at artists and creatives. And they also announced Surface headphones, extending the brand a little bit and... um, None of the new systems are radical departures. Like, like you mentioned, they, they sort of took the industrial designs they already had and s- spruced them up a little bit and upgraded the components. Um, but I think the fact they were able to get four new things out there at one time is fairly meaningful for Microsoft, given that Surface still feels like it's a sideline some of the time. Yeah, Surface Studio, which hadn't been updated in a little while, got got an update too. This this is the thing that if for people who don't know, this is the big, uh, essentially touch screen device that it can slide down and be a sort of like almost like easel like kind of thing. You can pop it up and have a keyboard and a and a, a pointing device and use it that way too. And that had been an interesting product when it was introduced but it got a, it, it's getting an update this time um to a uh, seventh generation intel cpu so uh, not the eighth generation but it's still getting an update and those headphones which are are also interesting to uh 
of course, have Cortana support as well as everything else. Um, I saw a lot of stories, because people love to do this, talking about how um, the Surface line shows the advantage of Microsoft having a unified, uh, not just hardware strategy, but operating system strategy. They only have Windows. Windows does touch, and it does traditional PC interface. And, of course, the contrast is always made with Apple, where you can like you can get a Mac, but it's a laptop without a touchscreen, or you can get an iPad, but then it's not, uh, it's not a desktop environment anymore. Um, what do you think, Harry, we'll start with you, what do you think about that, that kind of uh, comparison between what uh, Microsoft is doing versus what Apple is doing? Is Microsoft really... Uh, uh, kind of like pulling ahead from Apple on the uh, on the on the laptop and tablet line here. It's really both an advantage and an albatross, depending on which way you look at it. Um, I think the advantage for Apple is that it has operating systems optimized for each form factor. Um, you know, Mac OS is still extremely clamshell friendly, while iOS is designed for um, a convertible tablet like an iPad Pro. Um, Microsoft's big challenge, I think, is that to this day, Windows has not, the, the people who develop Windows applications have not really embraced touch in a lot of cases. And even Microsoft itself recently announced it's going to not put any more development work into the touch friendly version of Office. It's, it's going to devote its attention to the classic one, which works on, on a surface. And you can certainly use it uh, with touch, but it was never conceived with for that with that in mind. Uh, so I think ultimately, uh, if you look at the Surface Pro and think it's way better than an iPad, it's it's partially because of that comfortable Windows environment, and the fact that Windows to this day, you know, will still run everything from full blown Office to AutoCAD and has uh, lots of apps with a richness that's that's still fairly unusual on the iPad. A couple of thoughts. First of all, I mean, I agree with everything that Harry said. Um, the one thing that, uh, there's a couple of things that I would add. First of all, I love the, the office mobile apps. I think that there are, um, there's a level of complexity within the windows apps, especially the office 365. That is simply too much for the average user. And you're seeing that a little bit in the fact that you can sort of hide the ribbon and make everything a little bit more compact. And they talked about sort of the future of office recently where they're going to sort of go to a, 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 again, a very simplified ribbon uh, and, and sort of put everything sort of oriented around the, 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 the uh, search bar where you would simply search for, I think, a function or a document or something of that sort, which is kind of comparable to the modern web. Um, I think the other thing that's sort of interesting that it was kind of hidden in the uh, Surface launch was the fact that the Surface laptop originally shipped with Windows 10 S or Windows 10 and S mode, if you're going to be sort of pedantic. And <laughs> now it doesn't. Um, it's now Windows 10 Home and huh. it's only Windows 10 Home or Pro if you're actually buying the Surface laptop too for business, blah, blah, um, And I thought that was rather interesting. I mean, I, one of the things that the Surface laptop was known for was the fact that it has really, first time, fantastic battery life. There's been another couple of other laptops that have now sort of surpassed it. But one of the things that, you know, we, we tested it as far as, you know, you running it in Windows 10 S and running it sort of a battery rundown, then running it under Windows 10 Pro and, and Windows 10 S actually eked out like an hour and a half more battery life, which maybe if you're talking about 14 hours, isn't that that big of a deal. But, you know, as far as just what they were touting as far as optimizations were concerned, it was significant. Um, obviously, I, I think one of the problems 
I don't know if you would call it a problem, but you know, it was very easy. It's now very easy to go from Windows 10 S to Windows 10 Pro or Windows 10 Home. It's just a matter of configuring, a, just touching a button, basically, and <clears throat> it takes a, a few seconds. And I think people just sort of, you know, if you if you look at what happened with the Windows, uh, sorry, the the Surface, the recent Surface Go, for example, it actually does still ship with Windows 10 S, and everyone that reviewed it, it seems like. Didn't even mention that. They just kind of blew past that and just immediately put on Windows 10 Pro and started benchmarking it and so forth. And I think Microsoft may have just said at this point in time, all right, maybe Windows 10 S is or was an experiment that we liked and it's an option for people who choose to use it. But for the mainstream, we're just going to go and sort of give it up. Um, but as far as, you know, just the, the general surface environment is concerned, I mean, you're right. There has been some talk about Microsoft having sort of the most comprehensive lineup of hardware. And I would agree with that to some point. Um, there's sort of iterative, I don't want to say iterative, but there's a lot of shading between, you know, you've got a Surface Go and a Surface, uh, Surface Pro 6. I mean, they're sort of the same thing. So is the laptop. Um, they're all sort of tweaks on that same sort of general mobility play. Um, I like what Microsoft's done. Um, but, you know, again, the gaping hole is some sort of portable device like a phone or a, a mobile tablet you can make Skype calls on. And until we have that, I don't really don't think that Microsoft can make that argument that it has a comprehensive line of devices. Yeah. And there's we'll talk in the next segment a little bit about what Microsoft's doing with that in that area. It's kind of an interesting they are again, they're in an interesting position where it's like, how do we make the most out of the fact that we uh, don't really have a phone, but we've got a very popular desktop operating system. Um, before we move on, though, uh, and talk a little bit more about software stuff i wanted to ask another hardware question mark you know you at pc world you're talking about uh you're covering all, all sorts of pc hardware what is the perception in the um in the world of uh windows pcs about this microsoft hardware is this considered like top of the line or you know if you were recommending a laptop or a convertible to somebody would microsoft be the number one recommendation would it be in the conversation with others how is how, how is microsoft's hardware perceived in the pc world in a nutshell probably pricey but somewhat flawed i mean you know we had a little bit of a kerfluffle with consumer reports talking about how it was going to not recommend and then recommend the surface hardware because of things like you know black screens of deaths and inability to wake up from sleep and hibernate and so forth and i think that really sort of in some small sense remains the case i mean the surface book said uh and the surface book well the surface book and the surface book too it both had hardware issues um there was a surface book had some problems with what was called hot boxing where it wouldn't go into a sleep state when you put it in and you folded it down and put it in your oh, backpack yeah. we didn't really we don't really have those with like the laptop or the modern devices but i think there's a little bit still of a perception that they're still always a tiny bit buggy um, and I really don't necessarily see that with other ones I've used. Like, um, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of the Spectre devices. And if you look at what the, the, the recent announcements of this past week, you know, HP announced what's called the Spectre Folio, where they took a, a, essentially a Spectre tablet and wrapped it in leather. And I think from a, from a, from an innovation standpoint, from a hardware innovation standpoint, that was the more significant device as far as, I mean, the, the service devices were great. Don't get me wrong, but they're spec bumps. Uh, they're, inter, you know, they're upgrades in the internal. So, I mean, if you're talking about sort of the conversation of, of best hardware, yeah, I think Microsoft's definitely in that conversation, but I wouldn't count out you know, HP or Dell, uh, in, I'd say, or Apple, you know, in any of those, those, those four manufacturers from that conversation, mm -hmm. I think they're definitely up in the, the top of the heap. Um, yeah, Microsoft's in that, like I said, Microsoft's in that conversation, but 
they're not exclusively at the pinnacle of it. Harry, it's funny um, talking about Microsoft hardware, isn't it? As somebody who's covered the, <laughs> covered this company for a long time, that I, I'm constantly fascinated that at some point uh, Microsoft just said, "You know what? We could play Apple's game, and we're going to do that now." And they have, and and it has not been a joke, right? Like the, these products, although they're not, you know, they're they're part of a conversation, as Mark just said. It is. Uh, I, I mean, every now and then I step back and I just appreciate the fact that Microsoft has done what they set out to do and they've done a pretty darn good job with these products but it's just very different right it's it's not how, how do you look at this do you ha- do what i do which is being like yeah new microsoft hardware what's what what, what a world we live in i'm finally used to it um i mean the original surface launch event was one of the more memorable mm. press events i've ever been to and it, it was in a very different era this this was back when uh the ipad was selling like gangbusters and people were having a serious discussion of the idea that that maybe PCs, as we knew them, running Windows software, were on the way out, and and the iPad or something like the iPad would replace that. And clearly, um, Microsoft was understandably terrified by that prospect, and it wasn't terribly happy with what companies like Dell and HP and Lenovo were doing with the PC. And I think Surface came out of Microsoft deciding that that if Hardware makers were not going to make a great leap forward. It, it had to take the bull by the horns. Um, and But after that, it turned out that Windows-based PCs are still really useful. And as great as the iPad is, um, sales kind of plateaued. And there were certain people who loved the iPad, but a much larger number of people who uh, were comfortable being productive in an environment they already knew. And um, so things swung back a little bit. And um, but I think Surface still makes sense for Microsoft. And every so often, there are rumors they might discontinue it. But last quarter, they sold 1.1 billion dollars worth of devices. So <laughs> it's not it's not a hit on the iPhone level. But I, I imagine when when you look at other Windows based PCs out there, it's doing pretty well. And it, it's not Microsoft's biggest business by any means, but it, it's large enough for them to care about, for sure. Harry, do you think that the Surface line has sort of reached a plateau in terms of, I'm thinking of the SP6 in terms of the design. I mean, you obviously were there for the original Surface launch, and it was kind of boxy and clunky. Um, if you had to sort of design the Surface Pro 7 or something of that sort, what would you do? Personally, I would put USB-C in that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're in this weird limbo where a lot of devices have USB-C and a lot don't. And I wish the industry would just push forward, even though uh, at the moment there are certainly consumers out there who would uh, see USB-C as a disadvantage just because they, they'd have to buy some new cables. Uh, I would definitely like Surface to kind of go through a major makeover in a way that it hasn't in a while. I think they did get to a design that worked pretty well. Um, but with the uh, next iPad Pro, which it sounds like we might see in it, a few weeks, it sounds like Apple will do some significant things in, in terms of shrinking the bezel and um, introducing uh, Face ID and uh, you know putting out something that is meaningfully better and meaningfully different than the last one. And Microsoft has not done that in a little while, and it, it does still seem like um, for Microsoft, sort of firing on all cylinders across multiple Surface devices. And doing both the little speed bumps and the major upgrades is something that's a little bit of a challenge for them. See, the thing is with USB-C is that 
USB-C, I think, works best when you pair it with Thunderbolt, and they haven't done that. I mean, the Surface Connector is both power and I.O., and, I mean, there's two, actually, usually there's there's two Surface Connectors. I mean, like in the Surface Book, for example, there's one on the side, and there's one, actually, it's a Surface Connector that connects the, the, the base and the, and, the, and the tablet. But they haven't done anything with it. I mean, I've been hoping that they would do uh, an external GPU or a dock or something of that sort. Um, and that's actually, I mean, that's actually what the base, sort of the foundation for the, the Surface Connector is. I mean, if you have a charger, of course, it works with all Surface devices, essentially. And if you have a Surface dock, which I've we've had for, I don't know, three, four years now, um, you know, it plugs right in. But they just haven't done anything with that Surface Connector. And I think if they'd done that with a Surface Connector, they people would be like, oh, well, we don't really need USB-C. Look at what this wonderful Surface Connector has done. But now everyone's like, well, they just kind of ignore the connector and look at it as a power connector. And I think that people are sort of pushing for USB-C because of that. Microsoft at one point was also talking about using um, the keyboard connector right. to do like specialized keyboards of various sorts. Yeah, which exactly. Kind of also didn't kind of pan out. They, they went back mm-hmm. and decided to do one keyboard and make it really nice, which it is. Uh, it's way nicer than the iPad Pro keyboard. Right. They had a DJ concept, I think, as it was. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. We've got more Microsoft stuff to talk about on the software side. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, let me take a break and tell you about our sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by Squarespace. You need to make your next move whenever you make it with Squarespace. Here's why. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for whatever your next idea is. Use a unique domain award-winning templates from Squarespace's award-winning designers, so much more. It doesn't really matter what you want to make on the internet. If you want to make something on the internet, you should try Squarespace. Online store, portfolio for your work, a blog to get your thoughts out into the world. It doesn't really matter. Squarespace lets you do anything. It's an all-in-one platform, nothing to install, no software patches to worry about, no security issues to worry about, no upgrades to worry about. You just use Squarespace. They take care of the rest. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you ever need help. They let you grab a domain name quickly and easily. Those templates, they're beautiful. They've won awards. You get all of that for just $12 a month. And you can start a trial, no credit card required, by going to squarespace.com slash download fm and when you decide to sign up use the offer code download fm you'll get 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this podcast squarespace.com slash download fm the code download fm 10 percent off your first purchase thank you to squarespace for supporting this show squarespace make your next move make your next website all right um moving on to our next topic uh, about microsoft i want to i want to talk a little bit about um well, something that came up in the last segment that I want to mention again, which is uh, Harry mentioned that Microsoft's sort of uh, taking the the foot off the gas pedal for the touch version of Office. And when we talk about where Microsoft fits in in the future, I'm fascinated by this because when I hear people talk about what Microsoft is doing on the hardware side, one of its great advantages seems to be that it's been investing in kind of traditional PC interfaces as well as in touch interfaces so that windows can do both which is as we know from the apple side like apple has struggled with that and is now trying to bring ios apps to the mac but macs don't do touch screen and ios devices you know are touch screen focused um what you know i remember when they showed the touch version of office for the first time which was at the d conference and i was there and i had that moment where i thought oh this is very exciting and then the next moment was and you can flip over and use traditional office so you know 
what what do I, what am I to read into the idea that Microsoft is not interested in pushing the touch version of Office forward? Because I thought that was like Microsoft's hedge against a tablet-oriented touchscreen-based future. Do they not believe in it anymore, or do they just not think it's worth more effort? One of the most strikingly un-Microsoftian things Microsoft ever did was it, it released a touch-friendly version of Office for the iPad before the one for Windows was ready. Uh, it, you know, this was in this, one of the first things that Satya Nadella did. Right. Uh, and it was a really striking message that, that Microsoft was going to live in the real world where there were a lot of people out there with iPads, uh, who would be very happy to use Office on an I- iPad if it was available. And, uh, and the touch friendly version of Office is still available for the iPad and for Android and is really good. It's, I think it's, it's very pretty, good for people yeah, who, it's pretty yeah, if you're skeptical about it, uh, try, try a, uh, try office on an iPad pro sometime. It's really mm. good. <laughs> uh, it's pretty conclusively the, the best office productivity suite out there for the iPad. Um, but I think Microsoft is learning the same thing that a, a lot of third party developers latched onto quickly, which is that a lot of windows users are pretty happy with, um, software. That's not a radical departure from the classic Windows interface. And um, when all is said and done, the fact that Windows software tends to have a ton of features, well, it makes it difficult to do something simple and touch-centric is also a major selling point. And obviously developing two versions of Office aimed at different use case scenarios, just logistically from an engineering standpoint, sounds like a nightmare. And um, so I think ultimately it kind of makes sense that for Windows, Microsoft ended up thinking that having something powerful and kind of conventional was the most important thing. And for a device like the iPad, they decided that that having something a little bit simpler, a little bit less powerful, but touch first was the right way to go. Is this a little bit of a capitulation, though? I mean, that's that's the way I, 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 I like if touch, maybe the answer is that Microsoft is happy being the uh, dominant player in traditional PCs and that that is fine and that people are going to want PCs. The PC is not going to go away um, and that they're going to be present on other operating systems that use touch like iOS and Android. I just, I always thought it was a smart move of, of uh, on their part to kind of keep their hand in the game on the, on the touch side in windows. But um I don't know. Maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe, or, or if it becomes a big deal, they can go back to it. I just, I was a little bit surprised. That is, uh, does this fit? Is this, you know, what, where does Microsoft take Windows going forward? Well, first of all, I think that we need to talk a little bit about just the fact that Microsoft's got, I mean, this is not usual to Microsoft, obviously, but I mean, it's got a sort of this obvious tension between sort of the complexity and, and, and richness. Um, I mean, you look at Microsoft and the versions of Office it has, and I mean, Skype is a great example. I mean, you can't tell the players without a scorecard. I mean, there is just, there are so many versions of, I mean, if you want to just take the basic Office apps, I mean, there's Word, I mean, uh, there's there's Office 365, there's Office 360, there's, a, there's Office Standalone 2019, there's the web version web of person, Office, yeah. there's... <laughs> I mean, there's just uh, yeah. OneNote is not just. I mean, OneNote is is not even part of Office. It's now this you know standalone app within Windows. I mean, it just gets too overwhelming. And Skype, or I mean, they're talking about Skype 12 and Skype 9, and there's different versions of different UIs and different interfaces. It's just like stop, stop, <laughs> simplify, make it easy. I want to use Skype. Which one do I use? And there's Skype for business. It's just like, oh my god, please. So I mean, from that standpoint, totally understand. 
But again, I mean, the mail app within Windows, I don't need the full power of Outlook necessarily. I use mail a lot because it does very basic functions very simply and very easily. And that is a little bit why I'm sad about getting rid of those office friendly, those, those office touch apps. Uh, what about uh, talking about iOS and Android? One of the big things that also happened at the event this week is Microsoft talking about how they're going to be. I mean, look, the the mobile operating systems are not owned by Microsoft. That's just the the, the fact. It's been that way for a while now, and Microsoft has embraced it. So uh, this week they did this thing where they announced that, that there's this your phone app, and you're going to be able to sort your of phone. like launch your apps on your Android apps and see them on your screen. And uh, I think that's an interesting thing. Is is uh, is that going to be are, are people going to want to integrate their phones and their pcs in this way mark what do you think well first of all it's not I, I, the question that immediately came to mind was are you running a virtualized android environment on your phone or sorry on your pc which is something that a couple of other companies have tried to do that's not the case this is rdp so basically yeah. we're taking um so it's basically just you know you're, you're taking your phone and projecting it onto your pc so yeah, you're screen which sharing. Is a smart idea. it's screen sharing exactly yeah sort of on the line sort of in that same vein that they try to do with continuum uh in the way that you sort of use your phone to interact with your pc and vice versa um but there's a couple of, uh, you know I, i'm a couple of two different minds on this so you know the your phone app is 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 something that's part of the Windows 10 October 2018 update, and it allows you to take pictures from your phone. As, as, as when you take a picture with your phone, it supposedly instantly shows up in the app, and it seems to work that way. And then you can use that app also to send and receive text messages. Well, again, this is something that you can do already within Windows. I mean, if you have your phone set up to sync with the cloud, there's a Windows 10 Photos app. You can take a picture and instantly see it within that. And again, download it and edit it and so forth. And then Microsoft did previously allow you to send, or at least reply to, well, send text messages using the Cortana uh, search function and then reply to them using sort of the notifications uh, within Windows already. So this sort of just takes that functionality, pulls it out, and puts it into something that it sounds like there's going to be a platform for the future. I talked with one of the team members about the Your Phone um, uh, um, the app at the uh, the Surface launch, and she seemed very... Microsoft is extremely receptive to feedback and suggestions, and she was like, oh, I want your suggestions! But the point is, is that they are trying to make this particular app a platform for the future between the phone and the PC. Um, the cynic in me says they've tried these sort of initiatives before and hasn't really worked out. Again, harkening back to Continuum. But yeah, I mean, they're recognizing that they don't own the mobile space. They want to have tighter integration between your phone and your PC. And I I support the concept in general. I want to see how it plays out and if the support remains through successive generations or iterations of these feature updates of Windows. Yeah, it's a real challenge for them because they don't own it, and so they've got nope. to they've got to find ways in there. And you know, and it's and it's a matter of what is going to be given to them by Google and Apple too, because obviously there's much more functionality on the Android side because they have better mm-hmm. access than they do on the iOS side. Uh, right. It's a weird it's a weird place for Microsoft to be, but um, you know, Harry, it, it makes sense. They they people have phones and they have. Uh, if they've got a PC, they've got a phone, and having them not talk also is a bad idea. So you know, it makes sense. But you know, can Microsoft ever be comfortable with the idea that it's uh, just a good uh, a good helper for uh, operating systems owned by other people? Uh, before Microsoft's event, I talked to Panos Panay, who's sort of uh, Mr. Hardware, 
at uh, Microsoft and the father of the Surface line. And he said that he, he quite often talks to people who are intrigued by the Surface, but then they get all paranoid and, and uh, talk about how they have an iPhone and they're skeptical about the idea that a Microsoft computer can work well with an Apple phone. So they're, they're kind of starting out with, with perceptions from consumers that do not work in their favor. And I think that helps explain why they've introduced some of these features, even though, as you pointed out, what they can do with an iPhone is quite limited compared to Android. And um, like you said, doing nothing is not a viable strategy. Um, I talked, also talked to Youssef Mehdi, who is a longtime Microsoft executive responsible for some of the stuff. And he says that Microsoft's current vision of productivity is helping people keep focused and if you're juggling your Windows laptop and your Android phone throughout the day, which a lot of people do, you're losing focus. And if they can redirect some of that phone experience onto your Windows-based laptop, they're, they're at least helping you live within one world, which might be a little bit less distracting. Which is sort of the point of the Windows head, the Surface headphones, too. Yes. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it. I, as as a Mac person, like I totally get it. Like there, I have great value in the fact that my iPhone stuff pops up on my Mac as well, so I don't have to deal with swapping between the iPhone and the Mac. And whenever I'm in a situation where that is not the case and they're not connected, like if I got in a new device and I haven't like a new iPhone and I haven't checked all the boxes yet, it gets frustrating. It's like why is my phone dinging over there when I'm sitting here at my computer uh so there's huge value in that i think they're right in that um before we move on to uh, our next segment i wanted to ask um there's a lot of bubbling conversation out there about what microsoft might do on the hardware side next there's the there are all these rumors about this thing called codename andromeda the idea mm. that they're making a a smaller pocketable device and this is one of those things where microsoft's not gonna you know be in the phone business but would they try to make a uh, a device that's more something you could put in your pocket it's a foldable mini mini touch computer laptopy whatever thing and um i thought panos pane said something pretty smart when he was asked about it which was basically like well if you're not seeing it it's not ready it's not good enough the, you know something like that would be my baby but you know where it, it it doesn't exist there's and there's a reason it doesn't exist is that they can't figure it out and they can't figure out how to make it so that people will want it and buy it and that that the technology is ready for it but what do you both think about the idea of Microsoft using the surface line to do a you know even even wilder kind of product idea like something like Andromeda mark would would that is that a is it a good idea or is it all for the best that we haven't seen that product well one of the things that there's been numerous leaks and discussion about was the sort of a next iteration of Windows which you know Andromeda's been talked about both as a phone concept as well as sort of the um, a mobile sort of um, shell um, with regards to Windows. And the best imp the best uh, indication that we have that that thing is coming is the fact that there is, with the Surface Hub 2, which is a product they announced recently, uh, it's going to be based on essentially two experiences. One sort of in the near term for the next year, for next year, 2019, and then one that comes out in 2020, which um, is geared towards a new experience uh, that's what they're referring to as, but it's pretty much widely, believe, widely believed that it's going to be some 
I don't know if it's going to be entirely brand new operating system, but that's sort of what we're talking about. And I think that if we're, if that is true, then we should start thinking about some sort of mobile device in that same time frame. I mean, one of the things that Microsoft sort of implied um, is the fact that, you know, it has this sort of unified Windows strategy, whereas Apple has two different operating systems, one for mobile and one for desktop. And I think that if Microsoft's vision of a single operating system encompassing numerous devices can be achieved, uh, A, it's going to happen in, say, around that 2020 time frame, and then B, uh, it's going to sort of... Uh, essentially encapsulate that sort of that that sort of vision i'm looking forward to a device that i can actually you know that essentially runs the same operating system instead of thinking about it as a an android device and a pc um however again microsoft sort of tried that before with windows 10 mobile and it didn't really take off so there's the sort of the technical aspect of it and then there's the sort of the acceptance and business aspect of it too and the two have been at again sort of at loggerheads for a while now I mean, right, right now, Microsoft coming up with anything that competes directly with a smartphone but is not a smartphone seems like a stretch. Mm. But, but it is true that at some point, folding screens will become a reality and you'll be able to do d- devices that fit in your pocket that maybe are, are not all that much like current smartphones. And that's p- potentially an entry point for something new. And um, Microsoft has a really long history of wanting Windows to be available in a pocketable form. And um, right now, Windows basically doesn't get any smaller than, than the Surface Go tablet, uh, which is still not a pocket-sized device. And I'm not surprised that, that they they covet the idea of coming back. I, I can't imagine that they'll never take another stab at it. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. When Panos Pane is ready, then we will <laughs> we will see. Um, okay, it's time for the story you might have missed, something we like to tell you about here that it may have flown under your radar, but it's worth mentioning. Kobo and Walmart joined forces this week to take on the Amazon Kindle, specifically the Kindle o- Oasis. The Kindle Oasis, I have one. It's very nice. It's the high-end Kindle. There is a new $279 Kobo Forma, which is uh, an 8-inch e-ink screen, very much like the one in the Oasis, and a waterproof design, very much like the Oasis. A one larger bezel joined by three smaller ones, very much like the Oasis. Now, interesting thing about Kobo, you may be thinking, well, Kobo, you know, nobody even knows about them and who cares. But mm. here's the thing. Kobo Aww. e-readers are available in Walmart. Walmart has this deal with Kobo. They're pushing them in their stores and online. Customers can access Kobo's library of more than 6 million ebooks and audiobooks through the Walmart and Kobo mobile apps. There's a $9.99 a month audiobook membership. So, you know, good luck to them. But uh, I like my Kindle, but I bought a Kobo Aura 1 a while ago, and it's pretty good, too, um, and has better overdrive support. So if you want to check out books from your local library as ebooks, uh, it's a lot easier to do. You can do it right on the device, on the Kobo devices, whereas... Um, um, because Kobo is owned by the same company that does Overdrive, uh, and Amazon kind of wants to sell you books, so you have to go to websites and click around if you want to check out a book on a Kindle. So good luck to them. I love ebooks. I'm glad it's not just uh, Amazon making e-readers, but uh, that's a tough that's a tough market to crack because Amazon has mm. pretty much killed it. Okay, let's move on to topic number three. 
Um, a story broken just this morning as we're recording this on Thursday, the 4th of October, by Bloomberg and Bloomberg Businessweek about how China has been spying on American tech companies and their customers via compromised servers sold by Elemental Technologies and assembled by Supermicro, both of which are American companies. The spying was not done through software directly, but was enabled by hardware. The report says Amazon was having servers from the companies evaluated by a third-party security expert as it was acquiring Elemental. Elemental solution was critical to the early days of on-demand video online streaming. Amazon acquired the company in 2015. Uh, Elemental used Supermicro to assemble their servers, as do many other companies. Uh, in fact, San Jose-based Supermicro sells more server motherboards than almost anyone else. Uh, but then doing due diligence, it was discovered that there was a little tiny chip uh, very, very small, like the uh, tip of a pencil that was not part of the original design. It could be hidden as a different electronic component uh, posing as that. Uh, and it was found that it was going to be able to open up security holes in the servers. Now, uh, other co- tech companies, including Apple, were customers of uh, Supermicro. Um, the Bloomberg's report says that the companies were uh, familiar with the fact that these chips were being inserted at factories run by subcontractors in China and that an investigation uh, reported that there were uh, servers that were compromised that were running inside Amazon and Apple. Um, Apple completely denied it in one of the most vociferous denials I have ever seen from Apple PR, (laughs) who said that that, that basically the reporters were trying to prove something and never uh, imagined that maybe their sources were wrong. And uh, Amazon says it's not true that AWS knew about a supply chain compromise. um, And Supermicro says they're not even aware that there's an investigation going on. So Bloomberg, you know, Bloomberg stands by its sources. The companies have various levels of denial here. Um, I don't think we're going to solve this mystery today, although if you guys want to do a Sherlock Holmes on me right now, that would be great. But I I just wanted to bring up this story and, and, and throw it out to all of you. Like, I am terrified with the idea that uh, because of our global supply chains, at any point, somebody could insert something that looks like a capacitor that's actually mm. a computer that can do things to modify what's going on so that that things that should be secure are insecure. It is, uh, it is scary to think about this, and I would not, I think, want to be the person who has to verify that every motherboard that they get in is not, does not have a tiny component somewhere that is Ill- illegitimate it's uh, terrifying how are you how are you all feeling <laughs> when you put it that way so good yeah okay uh, good first of all i started my career as, a, as an electronic supply chain reporter i worked for a publication called electronic buyers news it we were basically wrote about like memory prices and, and and cpu roadmaps and so forth so i mean from my standpoint i found this profoundly interesting um if we had had this story break when i was a reporter i'm sure it would have necessitated an all-hands meeting and probably a, a new beat a new beat i mean you know supply chain security it, 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 i don't again yeah we don't know if this is a, a, a true story or not but i mean it's it's probably the 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 juiciest yarn i've heard in some time um it's interesting because my next one of my neighbors actually was uh he's an ex fbi agent and he actually his his beat or his area of coverage was uh, working with counterfeiting chips and and there was a period of time where trucks of 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 components were being hijacked and sold on the black market i'd be really interested to see what he has to say about this but i guess you know what it boils down to is that like you said jason i mean you know these are attacks that are theoretically possible only because of the fact that 
I don't know how many people closely examine motherboards, either the supply chain side of, you know, as, as they're being manufactured or certainly on the user level. Um, you know, as we go forward and process technologies become finer and finer, we can go ahead and implement this type of functionality in smaller and smaller chips. And I'm sure, as you may have noticed, one of the interesting details about that story was the fact that at some point they started imp- actually putting them underneath the fiberglass of the board them- of the board itself, right. which would mean that it would be harder to detect. Um, you know, we, we talk about like uh, chips and and transistor densities and, and numbers of, 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 of you know and, and wafer size and things like that. And the the gating factor here is actually the fact that it was you know not noticeable. I mean, again, if this is true or not, and so that potential attack becomes more and more potent over time as again process technologies have become finer and finer and, and you know it has certainly an element of science fiction to it all but yeah I, I, it's it's I, I found that really really interesting i hope that we see some sort of uh, follow-up on this in the future as well it's a little bit about how the sausage gets made too we just think of the cloud as this perfectly undifferentiated thing that just happens it is literally a mist of information and the fact is it's computers and those computers come from somewhere and where do they come from we've definitely sure. heard, whether regardless of the details of this report too we've heard that this sort of thing has happened before where something uh, a server has been there's been a malicious driver or something malicious has been loaded onto a server or even a a chip that has a compromise built into it or is attached because then you know if you're not looking for that you you then you're in the data center and then you have the ability to do that um you know this is also you know there this this kind of espionage has been going on for a while this is how you get into you know into iranian nuclear power plants and things like that i mean there's a lot of this stuff but the idea that that the technology is advanced to the point where unless you're maybe x-raying uh motherboards to see this you might miss it and it means that the cost of being apple or amazon or anybody else who's running a cloud business is now that much more uh because you got to hire a security team i mean or hire more people on your security team i suppose in order to look for for hardware security issues it is science fictional um but it's also kind of fascinating and it's worth i guess there's a let the buyer beware uh uh, message here too which is um you know your cloud service provider may not even know it if they're compromised and i think that's why the providers have to be transparent which is actually i think why apple's denial was interesting because part of their denial was essentially if if we had discovered this we would have announced it because we need to be transparent with our with our customers although i, I do wonder if there are national security implications there what would happen um uh, another question for both of you, uh, maybe we could start with Harry, is the supply chain is going to get uh, focused on again because of this story. It's almost undeniable. So much of the technology industry has supply chains that are deeply rooted, if not entirely placed, in China. And this story is about the Chinese government presumably uh, doing this, uh, which means somebody's going to say, well, why do we make things in China anymore? And the problem is that that um, it would be very difficult to move parts of move the supply chain out of china so how do you think this is going to go down is this just or is everybody going to shrug or is there going to be a push to get more things uh made in the usa for american use even before this news broke this morning um this general topic has been part of the conversation for a while especially centered around huawei and zte which are are these giant chinese companies that 
well, they make phones. They also make a lot, a lot of back-end equipment used by the, the wireless industry. And there has certainly uh, been concern out there that, that maybe the Chinese government would be interested in leveraging these, these two companies to um, do stuff such as insert spying equipment. Um, the fact that something maybe happened along those general lines, but it, it did not involve uh, cellular equipment companies, but a motherboard company kind of shows that um, uh, the basic risk could play out in a variety of ways. And I, I'll, I'll be fascinated to see what how this plays out, given that it seems like uh, you can't reconcile Bloomberg's story and what, what Apple, especially, and Amazon say. But I, I imagine that right now there are um, people out there about to create startups uh, ha- after having read the, the story this morning, uh, I think there's a real opportunity for for startups that that can uh, address some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, Apple, I mean, Apple claimed in that statement that it actually does audit its motherboards for security risks. But but like you say, that it's possible that they do that, but but in a way that could fall behind what bad guys are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. It is telling that there are two American companies built into the the chain of of technology here, too. I think that that's part of it is that um, it would be a mistake to say espionage and and things like that only happen in the Chinese supply chain. Like espionage can happen anywhere. Things can get inserted in designs anywhere. People can be bribed. Things can be modified anywhere. So it's not necessarily, I mean, it's probably easier for the Chinese government to get people to insert things on motherboards in China, but it's not the only way that it could happen anyway. Is Supermicro an American company? I always thought them saw, yeah, thought of them as, as Taiwanese, but I could be wrong. Amer- American company with Taiwanese ties, which is true of a lot of uh, companies involved in things like motherboard manufacturing. We, there will be more about this. I'm just going to be terrified for a little while and then we'll move on. But uh, but uh, what a fascinating story, even with all the denials, right? It's like these issues are real, whether the details are arguable or not. These issues are real and it's going to continue to be an issue. Like it's going to it's going to go on being that this information security isn't always just about software and networks. It's also about hardware and it will uh, it will continue to be. Um, we're almost done, but before we go, I want to, uh, take a little bit of time to do something we do at the end. Usually at this point, we do the fuzzy puppy update to make you feel happy before we go after being terrified by that. But as we've mentioned on previous episodes of this show, I'm considering a temporary format change to the show because it's the month of October, or as I prefer to think of it, Tacotober. Today, as we record this podcast, it's October 4th. That is National Taco Day also known as Taco Thursday. Visit nationaltacoday.com for more information, including the information that Americans eat more than 4.5 billion tacos a year. That is nearly 14 tacos per person per year. You may think of tacos as uniquely Mexican and as a favorite food in the U.S., but did you know Two of the biggest taco-consuming countries in the world are Norway and Sweden. It's true, in both Scandinavian countries, Taco Freydag, Taco Friday, is a real thing. When I went to Stockholm, I was shocked how many taco restaurants there were. Not Mexican restaurants, taco restaurants. Like, taco, big taco, picture of a taco, word taco, people love tacos the world over. Whether you like them hard-shelled or soft for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, let us salute the versatile and tasty taco. Happy National Taco Day and happy Taco-tober. Mark Hockman, where can people find the stuff that you do? 
<laughs> PCWorld.com. That's the place to get all the information. We talk about Microsoft so much. Lots of detail about what Microsoft is up to over at PC World. And Harry, where can people find your stuff? You can find me at FastCompany.com. Uh, my newsletter is available at newsletter.technologizer.com. And Fast Company is still a print magazine, and I actually have the cover story in our next issue, which will be out before too long. I remember print magazines. It's yes. nice that Fast Company still has one. I miss them. I miss them. Stephen Hackett, thank you for putting the show together this week. As always. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Until next week, we will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Go have a taco. Bye, everybody. Bye.